You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, September 10, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. Alrighty, we are going to, we're skipping a little bit ahead simply because Everything between the 9th, 10th, and 11th chapter of Romans, it's all very, very important. The, 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 the only reason that we are kind of skipping fast forward to Romans 12 is, to be quite frankly, because I don't know if I'm going to be here to teach all of Romans. <laughs> so, so between this week and next week would be, I want to finish this out for now on Romans 12. And then we're going to be blessed that last Sunday, you know, with Dennis Carp. I mean, Chosen People Ministries, reaching out to the Hebrew people, you know, proclaiming Jesus the Messiah. I mean, that's something that is not a small deal. That's a big deal. So I'm, I'm looking very, 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 very forward. You all know Dennis. I don't. Uh, when, I, uh, when I was coming in, I, I guess a little over a year ago, because actually, actually, I started preaching in September, so it's been a year now. The, the, um, uh, he had come, and he had, he had done a Seder, and, and he'd shared, but I was, I was still at Victory when, when he came, so I guess it was August he was here, actually, because I started preaching in September. So I'm looking forward to meeting Dennis Carp. Uh, so, so please, 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 if there's any way that you can make, make that, that this last Sunday, uh, this month, try to make that happen, because he, he's going to bless you. I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm pumped. I can't wait to meet him. So Romans 12, this is actually, I get excited about Romans 12, to be perfectly honest. But we're going to dig into living sacrifices and humble servants. So let's just dive right into this thing. Romans 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do the, this is your true and proper worship. Living sacrifices. We are called to be living sacrifices. What the heck does that mean? Doesn't that kind of doesn't that sound almost contradictory in nature? What is what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is something that generally dies you know, on, on their behalf. That, that, would be the, that would be the sacrifice. What, what's a perfect example of a sacrifice that's been made on their behalf? Messiah Jesus. Jesus was a sacrifice. He came here in the flesh, lived a perfect life, laid down his life on a cross. And I'll tell you what, it just, it, that, that's no small thing. Even when we just say the cross, we, we kind of... That, is so, that sounds almost generic compared to what actually happened. You know, I've talked about this a lot, and, 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 but I, and, and I'm just going to touch on it again just because it blows my mind. First of all, that, that Jesus, again, there's my John chapter 1 thing, the, the creator of all things, everything was ever made, he made, he was, he was the word, he was with God, he was God. He was in, there in the beginning, all things that were created, it was created through him. That Jesus came here to be a sacrifice. And first of all, just coming here blows my mind. It, it does, it, it blows my mind. If I, were, 
Is there anybody in here that thinks if you had ever made it to heaven that you would want to come back? My guess is no. I know I wouldn't. You, you know, that's kind of like, you know, Dorcas. I, I think if anybody had a reason to be mad that in the Bible would be Dorcas. I made it. I'm in heaven. It's like, oh, no, we need some sewing. And he brought her back. I mean, that would, that would probably tick me off. I was there. Why did you bring me back? You know, but Jesus was there from the beginning. I mean, Jesus, and he put on flesh to come here, lived as basically the last three years of his life as a homeless guy, traveling from place to place, spreading the word of his father. I, the creator of the universe, a homeless guy, probably dressed even worse than me, believe it or not. Actually, while he was happy, I was wearing, I was wearing my new shoes. Because the ones I love, basically they're flip-flops now because the fronts are out of both of them, and I love those shoes. But Wally's like, hey, your shoes are new. So yes, I didn't make Wally happy with that one. But Jesus came in the flesh, and, and, and he, lived, he, he lived a hard life. Even before his, his ministry. Mind you, and this is what just offends me about so many of the old pictures of Christ. Have you ever seen the pictures of Jesus where he's like the sickly-looking pale guy with a little tiny lamb in his, in his arm, and he's just like, he's like, he looks pretty sickly. He looks almost anemic. I don't know. That, that is, that's... Jesus, when he was working here, think about what he did. He was a carpenter. I imagine he was way more buff than I ever was, even when I was athletic, before I got to be round. I mean, that's, that's, that would have been my Jesus. But when it came to the cross, it wasn't even as simple as being hung on a cross, which is bad enough. He was betrayed by one of his own, sold for a few pieces of silver. He was carried off, went through trials. Then even though in all the trials he was found not guilty of anything, he was still crucified. Not guilty of a thing. You know, that was the interesting thing. If you really look at that story, what was going on between Herod, King Herod and Pilate? Why were they sent bouncing back and forth? Off the top of my head, I think it was like seven trials. I think it was seven trials off the top of my head. Why? Because he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. But he still paid the price. He was punched and he was spit on. And, I, and he, was, he had that crown of thorns pushed into his brow, and the, and the blood was coming, and, and he, was, he was flogged with a cat of nine tails, 40 lashes. For many, that was a death penalty. But I'll tell you, the little sickly, anemic-looking Jesus in the pictures, I'll tell you how we know that that's not true. He survived all of that stuff. I'll tell you what, I doubt if I would have made it past the cat of nine tails. That was a brutal thing. I mean, that thing, why do they call it a cat of nine tails? Uh, this isn't an Easter service, but when we're going to talk about sacrifices, let's talk about sacrifices. That son of a gun had nine straps of leather, and they had pieces of like metal and bone and stuff, and they generally would bring out the strongest guy there to, to use this thing on you. And I imagine, this is just my theory, when they were beating Messiah Jesus, do you think that not only would they have had the strongest soldier, 
Could you imagine that maybe he even had that little extra demonic power behind that? What did that do? Those straps would wrap around your body, and when they would pull it, the flesh would go. It would pull the flesh right off your bones. I'm going to tell you what, and this goes back to the, the images of Isaiah, and I've, I've talked about this. If Isaiah said it, it was true. Why? Because Jesus made sure that everything that happened, the Father made sure everything that happened brought completion to the prophecies of the Old Testament. So what did Isaiah say? Well, Isaiah didn't even say they pulled his beard out of his face. You don't see that on even the Passion of the Christ, as hard as that was. But Isaiah says that he was beaten beyond the likeness of a man. He didn't even look human anymore. A sacrifice. A sacrifice for you. So then he's carrying that. I don't know if it was the whole cross or a beam. You know, it's, it, it, everybody has ideas. But he's still dragging a pretty heavy piece of wood, whether it's the whole thing or a beam, up towards Golgotha, Golgotha, where he was, the, the, the skull, the hill, the, the skull, and he falls under the weight. And then he had to be helped to his final place where they took those Roman spikes in his hands, in his feet, and he hung there. You want, to know the, you want to know the craziest thing about all this? That's not even what killed him. Do you know what really killed him? Well, we could say broken heart. That's probably true. Physiologically, what killed Jesus? Suffocation. Suffocation. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that when they pierced him, blood and water flowed. Well, we know from science that when you die of suffocation, blood and water collects around the heart, in the, around the pericardium. So we know that it wasn't even the beating and the spitting and the, and the, and the nails and the, and, and, the, and the thorns. It wasn't all these things. It was hanging there, gasping for his breath. That's what a sacrifice looks like. And he did it for you. Does he call you? to walk his walk. Does he call you to walk his road? No. According to Paul, he's called you to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? When Jesus died, he gave us his all. Well, let me tell you what. We should in turn give him our all. He doesn't call us he, may, he does call some to be martyrs, but for the most of us, he doesn't call us to hang on a cross. But you are absolutely called to be all in. You are called to be a living sacrifice. What does, it, does a living sacrifice, does, is, is your own will, if you're a living sacrifice, is your own will more important than the will of the Father? Absolutely not. A living sacrifice gives in to the will of the Father. A living sacrifice says that if I have called you to do a work, you will do the work regardless, regardless of even how you feel about it, because if you're a sacrifice, you do the will of the Father. You do the will of the Father. God has called you to be a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing. How do we please God? We please God with our faith. And we also please him when we do his will. I do not preach because Paul did not preach and Jesus did not preach a works-based salvation. But we see from James that, 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 that faith without works is dead. What does he mean? Because if you're not doing something in the service of your Jesus Christ, then, then what good is your faith? It's not a works-based faith. However, you are called. You are called to do a thing. What is that thing? God will reveal that to you. I don't have time to really get into, you know, the ins and outs of, of spiritual inventory. And, but I will tell you this. God has given every single one of you a gift. And I've heard many people say, I don't know what my gift is. I don't have a gift. Let me tell you what. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Bible's very clear that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have access to all that he wants to give you. But I'll tell you, you have a gift. And I'll tell you what, the way many of us find it is when you're doing that thing, does it feel like it almost completes you? When I'm at a pulpit, I feel like, I feel like my work, I'm, I'm complete in what I'm doing. Because that's what God has called me to do. For some, and let's look at this. There, there's other things that, in fact, it's, it's, it's a little bit, we're going to come back to that. But there are people with multiple gifts. You know, hospitality is a gift. He's actually going to mention that here shortly. We're going to jump ahead and come back. Hospitality. For some people, you have the gift of just being hospitable. There are folks like that. The very first Sunday I came here, it's because I was going to talk to the, the board afterwards because they were going to talk about giving me an opportunity to come here. I was met by Donnie Ashwood in the back. I walked on in, I sat down, Donnie Ashwood came after me, made sure I had a bulletin, made sure that, that, that you know, I was comfortable, told me about the coffee and the donuts. And let me tell you what, I'm a cop, I like the coffee and donuts. I'm very stereotypical, I don't have no problems with stereotypes there, I love coffee and donuts. I absolutely do. That's a gift of hospitality and he used that. There are gifts of different types of service. You know, I've even seen, there are folks, actually my wife, she has these, this crafty gift. She likes, she likes like doing these, these, these diamond art things that just drive me crazy because she puts all those little tiny things in this picture and it makes something beautiful, but I'm just looking at it like, how do you do that? Or some people just, they just have gifts with even crafty stuff. Well, sometimes God may use even things like that to bring together a group of people just to share in Jesus' time and, and color together. You have a gift. It doesn't have to look like my gift. In fact, if you were all preachers, um, I mean, what, 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 what would we do? Take turns? I don't know. But God gives you a gift. And I'll tell you something that's cool about that gift. 
is it's usually connected close to your heart that there's something that you really love doing. Don't blow, don't, don't blow it off. Jenny, oh my goodness, you want to talk about a decorator. Jenny Deloise, she makes the church look like a place you want to come to. I mean, she, she hangs things and puts up lights. And at Christmas time, puts all these cool little trees and stuff up here. And it just makes you want to be here because you feel so festive. That's a gift. So whatever that gift is, use it, church. Use it. Let me tell you what. There is no room in the church of Jesus Christ for a bunch of pew sitters. He's called you to be workers. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I don't have some secret ministry I'm trying to get you hyped up about. It's just the truth. You are called to do for Christ. For some of you, prayer. Let me tell you what, for some of you, for those that just have this gift of just praying almost like without ceasing, use that gift. Because I can tell you a church is built on the prayers of the people who are in it. If there are five or six or seven people in this church, and that's your gift, just, just conversation with the Lord, use it. Use it. I need you to use it. This church needs you to use it. This church needs you to come before the throne on this behalf, to speak to it, to the Father. Use that gift. Be a living sacrifice. Use that gift. Put it to the forefront. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. You're called to use your gift. When you are using your gifts and you are following the will of the Father and you're being a, a, a living sacrifice, putting down your own will and your own desire for that of the Father, that is your true and proper worship. What does that mean? That's when you're showing God where he is in your life. When you are using your gift that he's given you and you're being a living sacrifice, that is your true and proper worship because you're showing the Father that he is in the throne of your heart. Think that's a little important? Again, your salvation has nothing to do with works. Don't, 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 don't mistake that. Your salvation and your place in Christ, your place with the Father has nothing to do with the stuff that you do. But when you're being obedient to his call to be a living sacrifice and to use the gifts that he's given you, to use the, the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you, when you're doing that thing, you are pleasing him because he gave you that gift for a reason. And it wasn't just to hide. God has not called you to have a light and hide it under a bushel. He's giving you a light to stand on the hillside and to let the world see. Use that gift. Be a living sacrifice. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First of all, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world? The pattern of this world is just the opposite of being a living sacrifice. There's no accident that Paul is putting these two things together side by side. If you are following after the pattern of the world, you're following after the great American dream. 
You're following after the big house, the white picket fence, and the fast car, period. And again, there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But when your focus is anything other than being a living sacrifice, you're missing the mark. So the pattern of the world is do what's best for me. The pattern of this world is I am the most important. You know, when I did, when I did, and I know I've said this, but this all part of this living sacrifice thing. When I was, when I was a, a recovery pastor, this, 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 first, this first step, or this first principle, depending on if you don't celebrate recovery or, 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 a, or an AA kind of thing, is, the, is, is to realize that I'm not God. And I was like, God, that is, I wasn't, I was never in recovery until I was a recovery pastor. So I was like, God, that's kind of fun. And realized that I'm like, that's pretty obvious. Why is this a first step? Because it's not so elementary. It's not as basic as you would think. When I would dig into it, and then I would start questioning, why do I do the things that I do? What is my motivation behind why, what my career is, what I'm doing with my family, what I'm doing with here and there? What is my motivation? Well, if my motivation is for self-fulfillment, and my motivation is to call the shots so I do what I want all the time, that's putting myself in the throne of my heart that makes me my own God. What is a God? A God is what calls the shots in your life. So you, can you be your own God? You absolutely can if you're calling your own shots. You're a God that's not going to go anywhere after this life. I can assure you that. But you can, you can call your own shots and say, forget this living sacrifice things. I got to be me. Well, I can assure you, I can assure you, if that is the attitude of your heart, that if you're following after the, the patterns of the world, and it's more about me, 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 and what I want, 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 or what I can get, 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 and not being a living sacrifice, putting the will of the Father first, you can't please God. And I'd almost say that if, 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 if you have been in a believer for a long time, and you're still thinking me, 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 and not him, 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 I would go back to that moment where I said, Lord, I need you. And I'd almost have to ask myself, was I being serious? Was that real? Did I really go all in or did I just get emotional and say, you know, some preacher just had some really impressive sermon and, and, and I got all tied up and I just raised my hand because he, it made a lot of sense what he said. I'd have to ask myself. But again, what I don't want you to confuse that with. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have given yourself to him, we were talking about this in Sunday school, there is nothing in creation that can snatch you from the hands of the Father. It can't be done. It can't be done. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? That's a good question. How do you renew your mind? I'll give you a hint. I think I even heard Bill say it. The Word of God. How do you keep the old mind? Garbage in, garbage out. That's just the way it works. Garbage in, garbage out. If you take in garbage, that's what's going to come out. 
You take in enough garbage that sticks to your heart, you know, out of the, what, what's, what's in your heart, out of the mouth flows what's in the heart. But if this is what you have going in, this is how you renew your mind. You replace the old stuff that you were born with and had been taught by the world, and you replace it with the truths of God. That's how you renew your mind. There, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no some crazy formula about it. Read this word. It's how you renew your mind. Read this word, and I'll tell you, this really, really helps. Especially if you read the King James Version. Father, help me understand what this is. The King James Version thing, I promise, was a joke. But ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word, to make it stand out. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. It's living. It's the real deal. You plant the seeds that are in here, in here, and they grow. They just do. The Word tells us that His Word never returns void. What does that mean? It's never, no word ever spoken from the mouth of God and received by the ear of man has fallen flat. It always does something. And this is how you renew your mind. You get rid of the bad stuff by filling it up with the good stuff. All of a sudden, I got this object lesson that popped in my head. I have to use this one day because I think it's kind of cool. Let's say you take a glass that's half full, and you pull it, and you pour it halfway full with muddy water. Now let's take let's take a garden hose, something that has a an, an endless source of clean, and you pour that the, the top of that hose into that, that 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 glass, and you start pouring that good water in. What happens? All that bad stuff starts coming out of the top. To eventually, what happens? It's nothing but the good stuff. That's the way it works. It's how you renew your mind. You renew your mind through the Word of God. God's truth is the only way to combat the lies that you've been told your entire life. God's righteousness is the only way to combat the wickedness that was born in our hearts from the day we were born, that were, that were there. The Bible says we were born children of Satan. And thank God for adoption and the sonship into the family of God. But this is how you renew your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why have I been saying up here for now a year that we have to know the word? It can't be you, you just... Just listen to me on Sundays. Why you have to get into it yourself? Why have I said it is so important to read the law, to read the front part of the Bible, just like we do the back part of the Bible? It's because that is what shows us what is right and what's wrong. God's law has not changed. Our society has tried to define what the Bible should be, but it doesn't work that way. Society should be defined by what the Bible says, because this is what's true. What was wrong when this was written is wrong today. There is no exception to any piece of it. What was wrong when, when God handed 
the tablets to Moses is still just as wrong as it is today. So how do we test what is right? How do we test what is good? It's to have this to compare it to. Let me tell you what, folks. If you've ever been told anything or even been taught anything in church and it's not in here, be very, very worried. Perfect example, my favorite one. We talked about it in Sunday school. Not going to get into the nuts and bolts of why it's not true other than it's not here. How many people have heard, I'm not saying who believes it, how many people have heard that God will never give you more than what you can handle? Have you ever heard that? Yes. Where is it? It ain't there. It's not there. We are put through things sometimes daily that's more than what we can handle. That's why you need a Savior! If we could handle it all, why would we need Jesus? Well, I need him to get to heaven. Don't get me wrong. But even in this life, in this life, if, if I could handle it all, if God never gave me, let me be exposed to anything that was bigger than myself, something that was something too big for me to handle on my own, what good would it be? What good would I be? I would be nothing but a wiggling the rest of my life. And I would, I would be almost like Solomon. What was Solomon's big mistake? He was so wise that all of a sudden he stopped feeling the need. He stopped feeling that connection, that, or that, that dependency on God because he was so wise. Well, I'll tell you what, that would happen to every single one of us. If God never allowed us to be exposed to something bigger than ourselves, we would eventually think we were too big for our britches and we wouldn't need him anymore. But have you ever heard that? Many of you have. So when somebody says to you, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. How do you know that that's not true? Because it ain't here. And that's just one example. Let's, let's talk about this workspace thing. I'm not going to spend much time on it. We're going to move on. I have been in a church. I visited the church when I was a teenager. And the pastor had a doctorate. It was doctor or something or other. I don't remember even his name. And he talked about, from the pulpit, this doctor somebody or other, talked about working your way into heaven. And here I was even a teenager. I hadn't known the Lord for years and years. It was between my freshman and sophomore year of high school I came to know the Lord. I wasn't, I wasn't some theological giant. Still not. But I definitely wasn't then. And I was saying, there's something wrong with that. So if you visited a church and you heard a pastor say that you could work your way into heaven, how do you know that that's a bunch of bull? This. Because this tells me that it is a gift. This tells me that if I could earn it, I could boast about it. But I can't boast about it because I can't earn it. I can't even make it by using the law no one has ever kept the law 100% except Messiah Jesus himself. So even the law condemns us because we can't keep it up. So there's no such thing as working your way into heaven. It is a gift. It was a gift through the sacrifice of Christ. How do you know that's true? Because you have read this 
And you know the good and perfect will of the Father. You know the truth of Christ, that you can't make it without him, and that he is the one mediator between you and the Father. You know that for sure, based on what John recorded, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know it because you've read it. That's how you prove what is good and what's pleasing to God. That's how you know the renewing of the mind through the reading and the study of the word. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Don't think of yourself too terribly mightily. I know these folks. There have been times in my life I have been that folk. <laughs> when I was a teenager, oh my goodness, you want to talk about pride. I started preaching when I was a teenager. That was a long time ago. And I was at Wilmington, my happy place. I was asked to come down to preach by the, this church, this youth rally, and everybody came to accept the Lord that night. And I'll tell you what, I thought very highly of myself after that. I had the gall and the audacity to say, Jesus, you and me, we make a good team. You and me. You and me, Jesus, we the team. We bros, man. Look what we did. That's because I thought too highly of myself. Want to know the reality of it? The only part that I had in that was to step out in faith and to share the word. God did all the rest. <laughs> in fact, before, before I was even saved, God had already had a plan for those people to be there. Long before I had ever showed up in Wilmington, he was drawing on the hearts of these folks. God did all the work, but I thought very highly of myself. I have known people in churches who have thought that because of them, the church stood, or the church stands. The church only stands because of Jesus, not because of any one of us. You can vote me out in two weeks, but if God's will is that this church stands, it will. If it is his will that it doesn't, then it won't. God calls the shots. None of us are so important that, that, that we have this big, this big part in, in whether or not something succeeds or not. It is God who decides what succeeds and what doesn't. It is God that chooses what happens and what doesn't. All we can do is be living sacrifices and step out in faith and let him do the rest because he has to do the rest. I can't stand, I am not smart enough to stand up here and convince you to live or, or, or to, to worship an unseen God and to say that he will let you live forever. That takes the Holy Spirit to do that. I can't do that. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good of a speaker. I'm not that good of an anything. Only God can reveal that truth. So when we start thinking that we are so important, I can promise you a fall is coming. It happened to me. Pride always comes before a fall. 
It just always does. If anybody thinks that God's work is being held up by them, they are so sadly mistaken. Jesus is my foundation. He holds the whole thing up. Jesus is the one who calls the shots. Jesus is the one who makes things happen. All I can do is walk in obedience. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different functions. We all have different purposes. That's that gift thing I was talking about. God called Barry to work with Awanas. He has me preaching. There are people in this church who have been deacons. There have been people in this church who have held many different roles, and God has called them to do that because we all have a different role. And when the unity, the perfect unity of Christ is at work, these things come together for the, to, to please the Father and to accomplish the will of God. We all have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do you see how it's all coming together? Every one of you have a piece in this puzzle. God has equipped every one of you with, with, with a talent. And he's called you. Do you realize... One of my favorite scriptures. All things work for the good for those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Who is called according to the purposes of Christ? For all things work for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. It's all of you. There's not one of you here that's not called to the purposes of Christ. And what that purpose is. You need to find it and do it. You need to find it and do it. You may have already, he may have revealed something in your heart years ago and you've just not stepped up yet. Step up now. Because whether I'm here or I'm not after two weeks, this church needs you. This church needs you. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Generously, diligently, and cheerfully. I'll tell you what, I, I wish. I wish I, I could see into the future. And, and, and say, hey, this, I know this is where this church will be one month, six months, a year down the road, just so I could... Try to try to help prepare or, or, or to, to encourage. I don't have that. But what I do have is I know that there is a Jesus who cares greatly about you. 
that he has called you to his purposes. He has given you a gift. And the, the Apostle Paul is calling you out here. Not me. These aren't my words. The Apostle Paul is calling you out here. Use that gift. You all have a part. There is not a single one of you who have ever cried out in the name of Jesus that doesn't have a part in a piece of this puzzle, a part of this church. And I can assure you it's not pew sitter. You may sit on the pew, but that's not the only thing he's called you to do. God has called you to absorb and to learn. And that's what you do in here. Use that gift.